From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. Uh, thank you very much, Shaggy. And here we are again, Off the Record, episode 70. Yes, 70. Season 3, episode ooh, 10, I guess it is. Is this a 10 or I don't know. I, I lose track, whatever it is. We're here now. We're live on Facebook if you're watching. And uh, if you listen on Spotify, then hello anyway. Um, we have, we did the Stones last week, and I've got the same by popular demand. We're back again. We have, well, one of you anyway. Um, <laughs> we've got Austin back from Down Under. Hello, Austin. Welcome back, sir. Oh, I've had a very interesting, yep. Thanks. I've had a very interesting week, uh, Colin. You should ask me about uh, about my week at some point. You can I ask will. me now if you want. Austin, have you had an interesting week? <laughs> Tell I, us about uh, it. I uh, did. A, I did a, uh, a recording session just yesterday. Um, Ooh, we, we got uh, all all the parts down for uh, for the uh, the two new songs of my new all analog vinyl single except for the vocals uh, like i tried to get them a couple of weeks ago and it was at the end of the session i was just i was fried like concentrating for eight hours like you, your nervous system just goes to pieces and uh yeah. i was a bit nervous about it because it was a big vocal and uh, i knocked it out of the park it's probably one of the one of the best vocal performances in uh, like that that i've ever delivered in the studio so it was, i was i was pretty much uh you know walking on clouds uh, all yesterday it was great Never in doubt, Austin. Never in doubt, sir. Pete, can you match that? No. All I right. Like, I, I sent that from you. I wrote, uh, I wrote two training courses and a whole set of outlines for a, a client in Saudi Arabia yesterday and managed to cook my own meal. So, you know, what more can I say? Well done. And you managed to tie your own shoelaces as well at times. I, I did. Yeah, more <laughs> than most footballers. Anyway, let's not go down that route. <laughs> No, well, if Spurs didn't lose tonight, we're still undefeated. No, Liverpool got a last-minute winner for Benio. Oh, did they? Yeah, he needs a slap. Anyway, I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's yeah, that's that's uh, that was unexpected. Yeah, I thought that was going to end up one all as well. Anyway, let's not digress too far. Musically, we we did the Stones last week. We did top tens from each of us on the Stones, and this week we are going to look at the career. And our favourites from the career of Sir Rod Stewart. The man himself. Rod the Bod. Rod, Rod the Bod, who, as uh, Poppy has pointed out um, over the last few weeks, I think, is a very good footballer, apparently. Well, interestingly, the urban legend is that he signed to play for Brentford, but um, he actually debunks that and says that that never happened but his dad was a very good footballer there was mm -hmm. football in his genes and he one of his quotes is which i do in my research about rod the mod uh one of his quotes was that um he wasn't any good at academia um so it was a choice of football or music and music um there was more girls so he chose uh, more more drinking and more girls so he chose music sounds reasonable well, that sounds fair. Sounds fair. Um, but Rod Stewart, I know I, I do sort of jest about him a little bit, um, but looking at my top 10 without giving anything too much away, there's 
nothing probably i might sneak in a reserve uh a bit later on but there's nothing really post 1980 now what the what the hell happened to rod stewart he's one of these artists for me that just went middle of the roadish almost didn't he and a bit poppy as, as the critic, I think it's a billboard critic, was it Lester Bangs said, he thinks he's one of the most, most criminally uh, wasted rock talent was Rod Stewart. I mean, I've got, um, I've read a quote somewhere. Where is it? It might have even been from Lester Bangs until Lester Bangs himself. Rarely as a singer had as full and unique a talent as Rod Stewart. Rarely. Has anyone betrayed his talent so completely? Once the most compassionate presence in music, he has become a bilious self-parody that sells more records than ever. Harsh? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's actually uh, a very very fair assessment, I think. And um, I've had a, my my own thoughts, of course, uh, about it. I think that uh, his um, his popularity or, or maybe the quality of his um uh his output didn't really uh like keep scaling up after every picture tells a story which was his early success and his uh, his move over to LA in the mid 70s basically uh transformed everything he was working with like a different set of musicians he was working under different producers and he started uh working with very very different material and had a, a different image complete transformation but probably one that was more in line with who he actually was. He started off as this kind of, I don't know, every man kind of mod, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a dandy, undeniable talent, very kind of like compassionate, I guess, artistic outlook. And then he turned into this complete, you know, like jet setting lounge lizard basically, which was pro- realistically, that's probably the life he, he'd been living since the early 70s. The, the, the man had a Lamborghini, you know, when he was 21, 25, you know, so he, uh, you know, he, he was dating supermodels from, you know, like very, very early on in the piece. And uh, perhaps his later 70s stuff is, is more honest and true to his character. And, uh, and you have to... Uh, grapple with the fact that maybe that early 70s uh you know heartfelt stuff was a contrivance mm, interesting interesting take i don't mind the late 70s stuff actually i think it was after that that uh he sort of went downhill a little bit for me but there's not to say i don't like a lot of the stuff it's like a lot of the bands i've said it before i'll say it again um the likes of uh springs not springsteen um Fleetwood Mac, yeah, uh, Elton John, yeah, um, even Stevie Wonder to a certain extent. I think sort of changed once the eighties started, and they went more for uh, the sort of the sound and the production, maybe more than the uh, the raw sounds that they may be an original sound that they had before. But Pete, you've kept quiet all this time, so we've done well. well. I have. <laughs> Okay, so I've got I've got some views, and this is kind of looking at it as a singer. Okay, so I want to pick up something Austin said first, because this thing about you know betrayal, as any artist betrayed, you know you, that that quote. I it, 
I think the only one who is on a par with Rod for betrayal is Brian Ferry, because Roxy were this amazing art rock band who were totally different. And then he just became a lounge singer. And, and if anything, even worse than Rod did. So I think, so I, I kind of, they're the two, I think, who really, who really kind of upset the apple cart. But I mean, I, 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 I did some research on this, right? He sold 250 million albums worldwide. 250 million that makes him one of the biggest selling recording artists in all of recorded history okay 10 number one albums 31 uk top 10 singles six number ones 16 top 10s in the us i mean they are staggering numbers considering that he started in 1962 busking with a harmonica. And he went from that through, you know, Dimensions, singing with Long John Baldry and the All-Stars, Jeff Beck, The Faces, and then... And, and, and the amazing thing was that when he was being... When he was doing all that really good stuff with The Faces, he was running a parallel... Um, uh, solo career. Solo career There's yeah, very, yeah. very few people. That, Rick Wakeman would be a good example of someone else who very successfully had a solo career alongside a successful band career. But there's not very many of them. Usually they do the band thing and then go solo. But I think the thing that might, that frustrates me most about all of it is that he hasn't actually got a great voice. What he's got is a unique voice. So I would put I put him in the same category as Janice Joplin, who she could, I mean, she wasn't a great singer, but everybody who, but she was a fantastic vocalist, her vocal delivery. I put him in the same category as um, Roger Chapman from Family. N not a great voice, but everybody knows he stands out. Joe Cocker, maybe, who's kind of got a, a bit of the same. Um, yeah. And there's, there's, so there's that group of singers who they're not, great singers but they're great vocalists at what they do and i think that that what and it works perfectly in that stuff from the late 60s through to the late 70s and then when he changed i just go well actually <laughs> you're a shit brian ferry because brian ferry's got a much better voice doing that kind of song mm. And so I I almost feel with Rod Stewart, I feel I do feel betrayed because if he'd have stuck doing what he was doing with, you know, some of the songs that I've chosen, he would have had a great career anyway. Uh, yeah, I just I think it's really sad. Last last week we were complaining, um perhaps you were certainly complaining, maybe about uh bands that stay the same they don't change with the times and the stones you felt did yeah um although i didn't say it last week but i i just still think that the stones from 62 into the current day are still pretty much the same band oh yeah yeah of course they're you still pretty much they, they did venture a little bit in the middle but still overall they haven't yeah. changed 
it's the no, sound. Right, right, um, and right, it's yeah. not necessarily uh, the, the right. I mean, ACDC have got away without changing the style for many. Take, I mean, <laughs> I know what um, Austin was saying. He thinks that maybe the, the, the stuff that we're liking was maybe a false rod. I think that's what you're saying, Austin. Yeah, maybe a, a more contrived than the latter day stuff. I think, well, yeah, Uh, perhaps what it speaks to is um, is is Rod's uh, instinct for um, uh, just maybe uh, human nature, like a a, a literary perspective, if you will, Um, and uh, and perhaps that that is what he always had. Like he had he had a knack for honing in on. uh, on human nature and what people liked. And it's the only thing I can think of that explains mm. why his later albums were, were such blockbusters uh, compared to his early stuff, which I think is, uh, is uh, just more, more artistic, you know, more mm. artistically excellent, basically. Before we get on to the songs, I'm just going to carry on that quote then, see what you think of this. After I said he's sold more records than ever, a writer who offered, Profound lyricism and fabulous self-deprecating humour, teller of tall tales, an honest heartbreaker. He had an unmatched eye for the tiny details around which lives turn, shatter and reform. The way a lover tears up the drafts of a letter. The way a boy combs his hair in the mirror. The way a man in trouble looks for solace and a voice to make those details indelible. Adopting the persona of a 19th century Montana homesteader, waiting out a bad winter with his wife, of an old man watching his granddaughter squander his savings, of a young man hell-bent to nowhere but finding love anyway. He removes all doubts. This is real, you said. This is how it is. Then, full of the rewards he received for his work, and seemingly without noticing, he exchanged passion for sentiment. The The romance of sex for a tease, a reach for mysteries with tawdry posturing and was last seen parading his riches, his fame and his smugness, a sort of hip Engelbert Humperdinck. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> oh, put. That's yeah. very, very incisive. Um, yeah, yeah, absolute, absolutely what happens. I think it's interesting what you said, because the other, because I, I did loads, because I'm not a huge Rod fan, I kind of did a load of background reading on this so that I, you know, knew a little bit about what I was talking about. And the other interesting thing for me was when he joined Steam Packet, um, they toured the States. And bearing in mind, he's kind of the lead throat. And um, apparently that tour, the f- I don't know whether it was just the first night or whether it was the first tour. Um, he did. He was so he had such much so much stage fright that he sang everything standing behind the speaker stack. So uh, he, he they eventually got him out with a shot of brandy. That was that was uh, at the yeah. at the Fillmore East, I believe. Right, that's right. So they drag so they drag him out, and yet it was a really successful tour. And I think that the interesting thing about that is uh, that's that that's down to the power of his sorry, the uniqueness of his voice. It, I think that I think that it worked when when you listen to the old Steam Packet stuff and you listen to the stuff he you know the long job the stuff he did with Long John Baldry and the stuff he did with the faces, it just it absolutely works with that type of kind of bluesy type music. Uh, but I just thought it was an interesting insight into the man, and it's almost like it, when he when he got the Lamborghini and he you know he got all the rest, 
And he kind of threw all that off and decided to become this kind of loose, lounge, lizardy. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Okay. Shall we get on with these songs? We might oh. as well. We might have a bit of overlap. So we you know, have to. I- we've <laughs> given him a good intro, haven't we? Or a bad intro, depending on his point of view, I guess. Um, let's start down under, I think. Yes. So, Austin, what have you got to start us with? Uh, what I have to start with, uh, number 10 on my list is Man of Constant Sorrow. Uh, this is off uh, his, I believe, his first album, uh, uh, An Old Raincoat. Raincoat, Yep, or the Rod Stewart album in the States. Uh, obviously, it's a traditional. And the way Rod approaches it is the way you would expect a rocker to approach a, uh, a folky ballad, basically. Um, and I, I really like it. And I think it exemplifies what I, I take it that whole quote was Lester Bangs. I could well have been him, yeah. Is, uh, what, what Bangs is talking about. Um, and, and and when he says, you know, Rod Stewart's eye for, for, for the little details, remember that most of the uh, the, the uh, material he was working with that Bangs references was not even his. Uh, he, he's kind of suggested like handbags and glad rags, which was Mike Diabo and so forth. But uh, but one of the things about Man of Constant Sorrow that uh, that you should probably be aware of is that the acoustic guitar is Rod. And he has this little kind of acoustic guitar trick. Um, I have no idea if this is going to work over the, uh, over the microphone, but maybe I'll just demonstrate it for the people watching on Facebook. So got the, uh, got the trusty acoustic guitar here. And it's this... Um, where is it? So that that little chord figure is uh, is basically um, well. I'll show you something else he did with it. Anyone uh, recognize that one? So it's it like it's the same guitar figures. Sounds like I should recognise that second one. I it's, must admit. Yeah. Well, it's I'll, it's also on my list. It's Mandolin Wind. Okay. Um, so that guitar part is also Rod, but uh, but Rod could uh, you know could, could strum guitar. Yeah, it's interesting because he um, um, when you when you look at any of the stuff which says you know what did he do it basically says he sung and played harmonica it doesn't mention him being playing guitar but one of the things i noticed because i also have man of constant sorrow on my list um although i haven't done mine in order i've got a number one and then the rest i just threw in um but um but i i think that's an absolutely beautiful song i mean it's i love the words um i think you're as you say the way he handles it as a rocker singing that kind of song um and I think that it is that guitar sound, that that acoustic sound of his that makes the song. I think it's beautiful. You know, it, it's uh, it's a really, and that's why I chose it because I, I wouldn't usually choose that kind of song, but I I, I really like that. It's really really good. That's one of these traditional arrangements, Rod Stewart. I assume then. Trad R. Ex- yeah, exactly. Indeed. Oh, okay. Man of constant sorrow. So, what do you want to do, Pete? You want to just do your next one then? I'll do, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said to you, okay, so Austin, before you arrived, I said to Colin, I reckon that out of 30 choices, we were probably going to have 
16 or 17 songs because I reckon we're all going to choose the same thing. So, and I, so I'm in fact, I reckon that you and I have probably got the same list, but anyway, we'll see. Um, one so, point I would say, I haven't got Man of Constant Sorrow in mind. So that's, that's oh, well, well done. I have got and, Man of Constant Sorrow in mind. And secondly, by the way, I forgot to say, Props for getting a, a yes reference in earlier on. With I, Rick did, I thought that one in without without I, kind of no, <laughs> without noticing. I, 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 I was so happy with myself with that one. Anyway, um, tell me what's your first one then, other than Man of Constant Sorrow? Right, yes, my first one is my favourite, Rod, um, and that it isn't the one that you think, which is my second favourite, Rod. Um, so my favourite one is um, in a broken dream with uh that he did for uh with uh, jackson. Lee jackson um so um written by david keith bentley um rod's not even credited on it at all um and <laughs> i love this story do you know how he was paid for for, for his vocal part it was Tell like me. car seat covers or something yeah he was paid for a set of car seat covers i just think that is absolutely brilliant so you know you deliver the <laughs> Lamborghini. You deliver you deliver the tour de force vocal performance of your life, and your reward for it is a set of car seat covers. That is so nineteen seventy. Um, but I'd, I've always absolutely loved that song. The, the very first time I heard it, which must have been I don't know seventy three, seventy four, maybe. I just. I really, I really, really love the song. And I think his vocal performance on that is as perfect as Rod's vocal performances ever got. Um, and um, and I quite understand why they wanted him to do it, because his vocals suit the song beautifully. Um, and it's, it's by some significant margin my favourite Rod vocal performance. So that is my number one. In a Broken Dream was what nineteen seventy. Yeah, it was nineteen. It was it was it. Well, no, it was actually released. The album was nineteen seventy two, um, but the actual but the actual release date I think was nineteen seventy. Yeah, the there was some. Yeah, yeah. There was some question mark about that because I've got I've I've got a Rod Stewart. It's not a greatest hits album. It's basically Rod Stewart's seventies output. Um, which um, historical note I bought on the closing down sale at Woolworths in um, Dunstable, um, just as they were kind of clearing everything out. I just went and thought, what shall I buy? And that was there, so I bought it. Anyway, um, we love, but on love the backstory, we love a backstory on this show. So on the um, on the actual the blurb on the album, um, it says 1972. But when you look at the Mojo Rocks book of everything to do with music, um, it says 1970. So yeah, it was a hit, I think, in UK. Number three in 1972. So uh, yeah. in the so US, early. it was number 56. Yeah, of course they were yeah, an Australian not, band. Yeah, they were an Australian. Yeah, band. they were an Australian band. I'm not so sure about uh, the accuracy of that because uh, all of the uh, the Discogs entries have got 1971. So and Discogs is pretty authoritative. So Discogs says seventy one. The actual yeah. album that I've got produced by Rod Stewart says nineteen seventy. No, it says nineteen seventy two. So I suspect it was release date in the UK rather than release date of the actual song. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's early seventies output and it's his best song. So okay, in a, python, in a broken dream, Python Lee Jackson. 
Awesome. Is that on your list, uh, Austin, or not? It is not. It is not. Okay. Um, right. Whether this one will be on anyone's list, I don't know. It's probably, like Pete said, my favourite Rod Stewart song. And it's from 72. And it's You Wear It Well. Uh, which is on my list. Excellent. Um, yeah. Uh, August 73, second UK number one. Not totally dissimilar, probably, to the arrangement of uh, of Maggie May, his first number one the year before um it was on the never a dull moment album it was a number one as i said in the uk number 13 in the us and also australia got, got to number 13 but a mandolin on there somebody called ray jackson played the mandolin hmm. um that 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 player from linda's farm whose name escapes me yeah oh yeah that's not him is it that's a different one no the same it is the same, yeah, 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 from the song. Okay, yeah, I just love it. Lyrically, I love it, although I didn't know at the time. I, what the hell does call collect mean? I didn't know what the hell that meant. That's reverse um, charges. It's reverse charges, yeah, back in 72, yeah. um, but call collect. But, yeah, I mean, remember the basement parties, your brother's karate, the all-day rock and roll shows, the I, homesick blues and radical views. Haven't left yeah. a mark on you. You wear it well. My favourite line, right? line in that is, Madame Onassis has got nothing on you. Nothing Anybody on that you. manages to jam Jackie Onassis into a song is uh, it gets uh, gets my vote. You make me feel a millionaire, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's, that's right. That, that sort of line. That's a, a throwaway line right at the end, which is quite, I think, quite poignant. It's almost started to say thrown away and like as it fades. It's like, after all years, hope it's the same address. But it's another one written, um, written and produced by Rod and Martin Quittenden, isn't it? Quittenden, so yeah. There's quite, there's quite a few that uh, the two of them. Number one in the UK, number thirteen in yes. the US. Yes, and number thirteen in Australia as well. Oh, as enough. as I said a moment ago, Pete, you obviously yeah. weren't listening to me. No, I was bored already. <laughs> no, fair enough. Right, Austin, let's come back to you. All righty then. Uh, my next selection is uh, is Rod with the Faces. Um, yes. And by far away, my uh, favourite Faces album and not as, as good as a wink, dot, 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 to a blind horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's All You Need, which is the album Closer. Um, it's a rip, like like such a great album, ripping album. But this is a ripping song. Um, uh, lots of super aggressive, like high volume slide guitar work from Ronnie Wood, and uh, and, and you know great ensemble playing. I could rave about all of them, um, but Rod's uh, Rod's lyric and and, and his delivery. Um, uh, are, uh, are just uh, something else, and and, and once again, um, uh, very much like you wear it well. Uh, just great, great characterization. Um, late last night, reading the underground press, came a knock on the door. Thought it was the Third World War. Lord above, I did not recognize him. I said, "Have a cup of coke, kid. Maybe that's all you need." He said, "The smell of the city, kid. It's trying to kill me. My eyes are getting muddy. Christ, I'm aging." Like it's they're, they're just gr- like it's like a conversation. Yeah. It's yeah. so great. He's a brilliant lyricist, isn't he? I, I I I love the way that it kind of it. You can put yourself in the story. 
you can put yourself when he write when he when he writes in the first person, you can put yourself there, yeah. which I think is his real talent. Mm. Yeah, interesting point. Yeah, good song. good song. Okay, that's all you need. Faces from a nod to Scooters. That was a uh, Ronnie Wood wrote that with him, did he? Ooh. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Well, he he wrote. Uh, well, Ronnie Wood wrote a lot of the stuff on that album with him, so yes. I'd be amazed if he didn't. Yeah, it, it's yeah, all tracks by Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood, except where noted, and it's not noted. So yeah, obviously he must have written that with him. Yep. Okay, uh, Pete, you're up. Um. Well, I'm going to go with my second favourite Rod Stewart song of all time, which I, I can't believe isn't on all of our lists, so we might as well get it out of the way. Um, and that is the already alluded to, because it sounds quite a lot like uh, you is wear it. Is Maggie well. May, when he shines? It is Maggie May, yes. Um, the, um, 1971, yeah. um, obviously a number one. Um, again, written and produced by Rod and with Mr Quittenden. Um, what can you say about Maggie May? I mean, it's the song that Rod's known for, isn't it? Or early Rod. If anyone says Rod Stewart, then Maggie May is, you know, the next the thing. It's the next thing that people say. I think it's a pretty well perfect pop rock song. It's um, it just it, it just, right just from the from the opening notes. It's just instantly recognisable in a way that Layla is instantly recognisable. Um, I, I didn't know the backstory to it. Uh, sorry, I, I went out with a girl called Maggie. In fact, she was my first proper girlfriend. So um, Maggie May's always had a kind of a bit of a, you know, thing because it was kind of like she was called Maggie. Anyway, boring backstory. Um, it's... Um, <laughs> Unlike your other stories, Pete, obviously. She was, she was, very, <laughs> she, she was very ginger. That's all I'm saying. Um, anyway, um, it's a true... The, the, the song is a true story about the first woman that Rod ah, ever yeah. had carnal knowledge with, which was at the 1961 Bowley Jazz Festival. Yes, festival, yeah. So one can only begin to imagine what she was like. But anyway, um, because uh, difficult jazz in the early 60s, we're talking, you know, uh, well, you know, anyway, let's not go there in case there's any uh, early 1960s jazz fans listening. But anyway, so Maggie May, great song, love it. One of my all-time favourite singles. In fact, I think when you did my 60 for 60, it was in my you top. Yeah, so, um, yeah, beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, of course, the title was also taken from the old um, Scouse, uh, Liverpudlian, sorry, for those who don't know what Scouse means, um, uh, song about a prostitute uh, called Maggie May. Old Dirty Maggie May. In fact, the Beatles yeah. Sort of yeah. did a little version of it on their Let It Be album. Oh, the Get so, Back. So Sorry. what Rod would have done, uh, yeah, I kind of interrupted there, but never mind. Uh, no what, uh, what Rod would have uh, been doing at a, uh, at a jazz festival at the age of 16. Um, we should probably have a, a quick talk about mods because the origin of the mod movement, mod is short for modern and uh, in the 50s, it was a distinction between uh, modern jazz enthusiasts and trad jazz enthusiasts. And the mod movement um, uh, also kind of had an element of dandyism. Uh, so, uh, you know, the whole kind of uh, 
like rooster kind of like hairdo and uh, snappy clothes and all that sort of thing. It kind of it it, it evolved and mutated in the sixties uh, to to embrace kind of a, a pop rock sensibility, which is where uh, bands like the Who and the Small Faces came in. Yeah, but at, at you know at the 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 turn of the sixties, uh, it was more about. Uh, embracing anything that was kind of culturally new and fresh uh, in a way. And and so the jazz of the time now uh, we would describe as, um, uh, oh, dear, um, like cool jazz or... Um, well, in the early 60s. Or, or hard, hard bop. So that was that's that was what modern jazz was at the t- at the time, and so that's that's what mods would have been into. Well, the early sixties was that crossover period, wasn't it? Because all of the big bands like the Stan Kenton and and Stan Getz and all of these guys, Buddy Guy, um, Dave Brubeck, drummer, Dave, yeah, yeah, but so like those those big um, those the, the, those bands, the bigger the, the big American jazz. That's that's what they would have been kind of in their pomp then in the late fifties and early sixties as well. But I think w- one of the things that's interesting to me in all of this is that when you read his background story at home, they listened to people like Al Jolson. So his first influence. So I guess that would be on that kind of uh, the, on the, no, he wasn't jazz, was he, but kind of like more that kind of end of, of what music was about. And then, but, but Rod's biggest influence was Sam Cooke, wasn't it? He was a massive Sam Cooke fan. He did some Sam Cooke songs. So I think again, it's kind of like that taking that really kind of, old old style i'm probably doing these guys a disservice but you know that music was very much of a previous generation and then morphing into what music became in the 60s so it's quite an interesting uh quite interesting one as well from uh from that point of view yeah alternatively sorry alternatively austin you wondered what rod stewart was doing um at a jazz festival in 1961 as a 16 year old he was probably looking for a woman to have sex with so actually yeah this is well you know that that was certainly uh like likely one of the the strong appeals to to being involved in the mod movement i mean yeah the guy the guys are always going to go where the action is right yes absolutely Um, even with those ridiculous hairdos yeah yeah, the, like the, the the girl the girls lead with their choices and the guys follow when it comes to that. Um, but I'd like to stay with Maggie Mae because like it is probably the most important song in in the Rod Stewart canon. And just talk a little bit about. Um, Sorry, the, it's, the on your list, it's on your list. It's on your list. you know, it's, okay. is it is it and is it on yours, on list? It's on mine as well. Yeah. Right, so we all, so that was that was all of us. Yeah. Did. Yeah. Um, and. and there is a an expanded edition of like a Rod Stewart anthology or every picture I can't remember which that has a, uh, a an early demo version of, of Maggie May, and it's uh, it's pretty rough. Like it, it, and uh, well, not not rough in terms of um, like execution, but rough in terms of. Uh, the uh, the idea development was uh, was still pretty raw. You can hear that the, uh, the like that the melody and phrasing hasn't settled into place, and uh, and the lyrics are nowhere near what they were. Um, so it was something that that uh, Rod clearly wrestled with quite a lot. And uh, the actual sessions for every picture uh, happened uh, over about like 
two or three kind of stints uh, uh, over several months in between which were like, you know, like there was a tour of the US, I think with the the faces and then, um, and then, you know, back to England and, and back into the studio, I think Morgan Sound Studios, which I tweeted about a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Cat, Cat Stevens did uh, Tea for the Tiller Man and yeah, a lot, lot of really great music uh, was done done at that facility. Um, Rod's uh, early sessions uh, uh, produced like maybe a couple of songs um, uh, off that album. Yeah, can't, can't think of them right now, but uh, two of the songs on side one. Um, and uh, he, was, he was scrounging for material. Uh, at that point, um, Maggie May wasn't even meant to be on the album, except uh, he, he didn't have enough material. Um, the uh, the record label said, you know, we're not putting out an album with uh, like 33 minutes, you know, give us one more kind of thing. And, uh, and, and so his opinion of it, even when it was fully developed, wasn't, wasn't particularly high. Um, and, and, uh, Ray Jackson's involvement in it came quite late in the piece. They must have had the song laid out at that point. Mm. Um, that that they must have, and I don't know uh, that maybe they had a like a click track or, or a count uh, on a uh, on a spare track or something for for Ray to work against. Um, uh, because um, apparently, well, he he. he uh, the, the the way the story is told is he came in and they they asked him to to try out a couple of things and then uh, he put down something for them they liked it and they asked him to double it or whatever and uh, and then that was it and um and then it's you know it, it's clearly a like a like a crucial um, instrumental detail in the song it kind of gives gives the uh, the outro that that big lift. Uh, whether you can credit Ray Jackson uh, for for knowing what to do, or, or Rod Stewart for knowing what to ask for, and you know setting the stage for it, you know that's that that's that's a bone of contention between them. And you could you know take either side, or maybe a little bit of both. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's um, like it, it, it's worth it, it, it's you know worth kind of noting that. Uh, that that it did evolve that the song did evolve uh, like uh, quite substantially and i think uh, it, it shows rod's uh, tenacity attention to detail and his his instinct for for um uh, for, for songcraft uh, that he kept at it and even when it was done he wasn't entirely sure about it mm. Yeah, I was reading something about that he wasn't that keen on the song Maggie May. I mean, to the extent, of course, even the record company put out Reason to Believe as yeah, the single yeah. from uh, from the album, which on its own, I think, got to number 62 in the US. But Maggie May started getting all the airplay. They spun it around and, of course, it shot up to number one. Um and of all of the songs we've got today, I suspect this is the only one that topped the chart in all three of the, uh, the countries, UK, US, and Australia. But we all had to have Maggie May in there, didn't we? It's another one, you know, I mean, we've talked about this many, many times on this podcast, you know, what was the greatest year in music? It was 1971. 
this is just another brilliant offering from 1971. You know, all the stars aligned. The thing that always interests me, and, you know, I'm not a songwriter or only a very bad one. Um, do you think that someone, especially when you write a song and you didn't think much of it before, and then you look back later on in your career and you look at it and you go, I absolutely nailed that. So it's like, does it, does it, does a song like that, which is so huge, have the impact on the musician? So, like, you know, Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street, everything else, he did loads of other stuff, but Baker Street was like, yeah, that is Jerry Rafferty. And, and, and there's lots of artists have got those songs. And, and Maggie May is that moment for us, Stuart, isn't it? I wonder yeah, whether sure. he sees it that way. He probably does now. You're right. Oh, yeah. Okay. I reckon. Rather than all the American, great American songbook stuff he does at the moment, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Anyway, it's, it's another nice it's, it's It's one of the songs that, uh, that I can pull out on an acoustic guitar and uh, regardless of the audience's, you know, regard for uh, Rod Stewart, uh, everyone loves that song. Because it's a perfect like song. It, it's an, it's an, it's an instant crowd pleaser. It is an instant crowd pleaser and not difficult to play an acoustic guitar. So it, it's kind of like, it's a campfire song, isn't it? it it's, and we'll give Rolling, Stone, give Rolling Stone a reference, of course. Number 130 in the 500 greatest songs of all time. Yeah. Well, Rolling Stone. I've lost track on who we're going. You had that, Pete, didn't you, Maggie May? Yes, so it's probably we all had, me. We all had probably Maggie. Me. I'm going to go for one that probably neither of you have got because this is how I, this is how I roll. Um, it's it was the last single, just a single, standalone single released by the Faces uh, at the very end of 1974, and it <laughs> it still stands as the longest title of a of a single in the UK. If you look at the full title of the uh, of the song, it's abbreviated to "You Can Make Me Dance, Sing, or Anything." But in brackets, it says, even take the dog for a walk, mend a fuse, fold away the ironing board, or any other domestic shortcomings. So it was the last official Faces single. It was released as Rod Stewart and the Faces, maybe because it had such a big career solo at that point. Yeah. Uh, it made number 12 in the UK, and a mere 100 in Australia wasn't a hit in the US at all, it would appear. Um, it, it, as hinted by the title of the song, it is about a guy who is happy to be with his honey, I guess is the, uh, is the term. Uh, and I end up crying, but listen, I can be a millionaire, honey, when you're standing there, you're so exciting. You can make me dance, etc., etc. No Ronnie Lane on the track. Uh, bass was by Tetsu. You can pronounce Tetsu. Tetsu, Tetsu Yamauchi. Yeah. Yamauchi. Yeah. He played bass with Free towards the end of uh, yeah, their uh, their yeah. run as well. Yeah. When when Andy Fry when Andy Fraser had left, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that was before the Heartbreaker album, I think. Free. So yeah, short and sweet. Unlike the title. You can make me dance, sing, or anything. I've gone for the faces. So that's me done for number three for me. Let's move on. Austin. Do you know why they changed their name 
from the small faces to the faces. Because Rod and Ronnie were too bloody tall. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't realise this. The small faces were called the small faces because they were all short asses. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. That, that made me so happy when <laughs> I found that little gem out. That is something that that is pub quiz material absolutely nailed on. I was yeah. chuffed to bits when I found that out. No, I had no idea. Brilliant. Right. Okay. Right. Now we all know. Austin, what do you got for us now? Yeah, uh, I, I don't have many selections from his uh, like his later seventies uh, epoch, uh, but this one definitely deserves a spot: "The Killing of Georgie," uh, ah. part, parts one and two. I have this uh, one about that, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's uh, a mate, isn't it? Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of those songs that uh, I think. Uh, Turned into parts one and two because it was you know too long to fit on a seven inch forty five RPM single, so they probably I, I I haven't got a copy of the single. Maybe I'll have to go and get a copy and see what they did with it. You know the fade out and then maybe a fade in on uh, at the start of side two or something. Um, but again, uh, Rod's uh, got great character observations, loads of pathos, and in fact, it's one of those few tracks from his later era that era that does have that pathos in it uh, that is reminiscent of his his earlier work um it's uh it's in the kind of bracket of, of albums that was produced by tom dowd uh when obviously rod was signed to warner uh, instead of mercury um night on the town a night on the town which yep. i think is far superior to Atlantic Crossing and, and pretty much the uh, the, the cream of his, uh, his late 70s output. I think that that album is the one. Um, and, kind of a true uh, story, wasn't it? Kind of a true story, wasn't it? I think he sort of maybe yeah. poetic license on, on some of it, but it was definitely about a mate of his, a gay mate, of course, yeah. um, hmm. uh, controversially in 1976. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think he was. Yeah, and it's not that the sort of mm. the getting killed was how he got killed. I think maybe he sort of changed it around a little bit. But it's a great song. You haven't got it, Pete? No, no, no. Um, great story, great story, uh, great storyteller, and the lyrics. I mean, what was it how? How can my son not be straight after all I've said and done for him? And and perhaps a, a Layla esque uh, like A and B section. So the, the A section is almost kind of um, you know beat reporting the uh, the actual tale, and then this kind of moves into this very emotive coda. Yeah, mm. Georgie, please stay. Don't go away. Oh yeah, indeed. Sad tale. Um, the coda. What of the song, the bit you're talking about, the, the end of it, the uh, old oh, Georgie, please stay, don't go away. Um, similar uh, as Rod, as, as John Lennon said in 1980, the lawyers never noticed. Uh, very, a very similar coda to the Beatles, don't let me down, or, or melody, I should say, the coda to uh, 
to the song Killing of Georgie. Further proof that there's only so many ways you can play music and not make it sound like something else. Indeed. But I have Killing of Georgie, so that's another one. We're going to whiz through these, hopefully, since we've had 40 minutes already. Well, I'm pretty oh, certain. That my ne- I'm pretty certain that my next one everybody's got, so uh, that'll be that'll be easy. Okay, I'm looking at the numbers here. I'm just writing down all the ones. So if if everyone's duplicated, I'm putting them down under whoever. Yeah, I put yeah. A man of constant sorrow. I put under both. So uh, at the moment, then I've got four for Austin, three for Pete, four for me in terms. So Pete, it will be you, I think next. It is just me next. Another fourth one. And I you might all have it going for the very obvious 1969 produced by Lou Reisner off uh, an old raincoat won't ever let you down. Recorded first by Chris Farlow. It is handbags and glad rags, rags. which is yeah. a fantastic song. It is. It's my number three favorite after in a broken dream of Maggie May. Um, Love Mike Darbo anyway. Um, he, we've talked about him before with his role in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, what I love about Handbags and Glad Rags is that it is an utter DJ nightmare because right at the end of it, it stops and then you've got that piano bit. And every single DJ ever in all of history at some point has bogged that up. And then they go, oh, damn, I forgot the last. And I, 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 what I love about it is, I mean, it's a beautiful song, beautiful song. Um, but I I just think what made them go, what made Mike Darbo go? Well, I don't know whether maybe it's just the arrangement that Rod uses, but what made them go, I know, let's stop the song and then have a piano bit at the end. I, I just want to know what the thought process is there. But um, it's it makes it really interesting. Well, we know who oh, played the, p- the piano, don't we, on that you what? We know who played the piano then on that song. Yes. Mark Darbo. Did he? Oh, well, there we go. Did indeed. I didn't know that. Mark Darbo, who, of course, for those who are unaware of who Mark Darbo is, he was the lead singer. He took over from Paul Jones as the lead singer of Manfred Mann, Manfred Mann. in the yeah. 60s, yeah. uh, who then went on to have a big number one with uh, Dylan's song, The Mighty Quinn. Um... I don't, know whether, I don't know whether you said this earlier on. Obviously, I fell asleep when you were talking there, Pete, but um, whether Mike Darbo, Mike Darbo actually recorded a song himself first, possibly. I don't know. It obviously wasn't a hit. Chris Farlow. It was a, it was a hit. It was, Chris, it's Chris given Farlow. to Chris Farlow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder whether Mike Darbo recorded it as well. That was all. No, no idea. It's been recorded by a few people. I mean, Stereo yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. it. Yeah. 2001. Uh, that sounded odd. 2001. Whatever you, you want. it this morning. Uh, was it this morning I played or it? Or yesterday? You played it. it. I mean, yes, you played it. I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember yeah. thinking, oh, okay, this sounds quite like all of the other versions of Standbacks. Of it does, yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, they used it as the theme to The Office as well. I don't know whether you watch The Office. The UK version of The Office. No, I can't stand the UK version. I like the American one. Okay. There's no accounting for taste. I can't stand Ricky Gervais. Basically, I have to run out of the room when he comes on, whereas I love Steve Carell. So that was an easy choice. Funnily enough, Ricky Gervais said exactly the same to me about when you were on this show. I don't give a shit. He runs out of the room. I, literally, that would make me very happy. <laughs> so unfunny is Ricky Gervais. Anyway, there we go. Handbags and glad rags. Yeah, well, so, I had that in my... I had and did you have it as well, Austin? Yeah. 
Uh, I did not have that one. I'm just nodding it. Right. Uh, so your observations about Ricky Gervais. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I don't mind Ricky Gervais. Um, okay. So I've got that. Pete's got that. Go on, Austin. You'll go. What if you, you insist. Uh, I do. Oh, I do. Wow. I do. Uh, the next one on my list is the one I spoke about earlier, Mandolin Wind. Uh, mm-hmm. So another one off uh, Every Picture Tells a Story uses the same little guitar lick thing that Rod used in uh, his rendition of Man of Constant Sorrow. And I'm not sure what else to say about this, but I, I don't think it was a, uh, a priority for the album. I think he, I think he was proud of it, but uh, I don't think it was ever up for consideration as a single. And yet it's one of those songs that got featured on the best ofs down the track. Mm. So uh, well, I've, maybe, I've got, maybe. No, I was going to say, I've got Mandolin Wind on my list as well. Okay. Um, I think it's a beautiful song. I, I, there's an, there's a couple of really interesting quotes about it, um, which I don't, I mean, you maybe have seen these and I may be jumping the gun, but I, I'll chuck them in here. Um, Rod said, I always thought the mandolin was such a romantic sounding instrument. And so with the nature of the song, mandolin wind was a romantic song using that romantic instrument. But what's really interesting in the Rolling Stone magazine, I don't know who wrote it, whether it was Lester Bangs or whether it was Cameron Crowe. We said um, mandolin wind is nearly as good as Maggie May. And on the rough guide to rock, it is referred to as the highlight of every picture tells a story. Best track on the album. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and I'll uh, I'll take the music's perspective here and, and suggest that uh, anybody uh, uh, listening to this or watching this uh, go and put that track on with headphones and have a listen to the arrangement, what all the guitars are doing, because uh, there's uh, there's Rod's acoustic guitar, there's uh, Martin Quintenson's uh, um, nylon string guitar, there's Ronnie playing slide. It is really a, a gorgeous arrangement and and total ear candy. So um, yeah, it's a it's a yeah, beautiful just uh, just gl- glory in the the luxurious uh, sonic uh, tapestry that they created. <laughs> Not Very nice. <laughs> right, so I think now, having adjusted the uh, scoreboard here, uh, we're all on five each. So uh, I'm going to go. I know he's only just said mandolin wind, but Austin, that will see you next one. My next one uh, down the list um, uh, faces again. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the prior album to every picture which is long player and this one is a paul mccartney uh penned number maybe ah, i'm amazed maybe I'm amazed. Okay. and uh and the recording on the album isn't a studio recording it's a live recording yeah. um clearly no off uh off, yeah I, I, yeah off one of their uh their their u.s tours in 70 or mate possibly even early 71 i'm not sure if uh, if long player oh actually no it's got to be earlier than 71 i think their 71 it's, tour was to promote yeah i'm just player. reading here live live at fillmore east new york 11th of october assuming this is in english yeah it'll in, be october 70 yeah october 70 so yeah. november 
Sorry, October 70, 11th of so, October. Yeah. So they, uh, the, the tour that they did to promote uh, Long Player was, uh, w- was the tour that uh, interrupted Rod's uh, recording sessions for every picture. So he started, like, started uh, sessions in January, February at uh, Morgan. Got, got down that first couple of tracks and then they went off, did the tour. He came back in something like April and, and got the bulk of the work done. And it's, I mean, it, it's hard coming up against Paul McCartney because Paul has got uh, a, uh, like a wonderful instrument, a great range, beautiful tone. And I think once again, Rod shows his killer instincts by knowing what to, what to tackle and what to avoid because... Uh, uh, you know, I, I think there are things that uh, that could do that uh, he is not suited to, um, and I would say his instincts have failed him <laughs> more recently. But god awful collection of, of of jazz standards that he put out, like mm-hmm. he's like he he's not that singer. But I think he just got to the point where he went, "Well, I love this, and I'm cashing in." You know, so I like a. What is it with maybe I'm amazed? Because correct me if I'm wrong, because you're obviously the stato on this issue. But maybe I'm amazed on that album is is live, so it's not it is, so it's a live recording. And am I right in saying that maybe I'm amazed by Wings doesn't actually appear on any Wings albums except the Greatest Hits one? Was it a single only? It, well, it, no, it's not. Not even Wings. It's, uh, it's Paul McCartney solo. Sorry, whoever it was, it was someone yeah, that he's on the it, the, the Wings first... Over America, yeah. When they toured America, they had the triple album Wings Over America, and they performed right. Maybe I'm Amazed. But it was, but it was, but it's live, isn't live. it? It was yes, live. Yeah, Wings Over America was a live set. Yeah. Yeah. So it's but, so it it, it it appears as a live thing, but there isn't a studio. Is there no not a there, studio is, cut? there is a studio that there, there is a studio uh, recording uh, which so is off the, the first. Uh, so McCartney it's album. But McCartney one, which is just it's just got the bowl oh, of right. spilt cherries. Right. Just him, basically. Not, not just album, him and album, his own, no. maybe with Linda, yeah. Not an and he's by far the best song on that album, if not the best song that McCartney's ever written. But that's I, another I issue. think it's probably the best song McCartney's ever written. I love it. Yeah. But anyway, there we go. We're not talking about him. We're not. not no. You always are. <laughs> so, so you mentioned Rick Wakeman earlier on. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I'm that was coming. Pr- I'm still proud I knew of that was coming. I'm still playing. right. Okay, maybe I'm amazed. It's a McCartney song, but I haven't got it in my list. Uh, Pete. Um, okay, but I'm going to go. Because Do you have anything else, Austin, on that, or is that it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so Pete. Right. So I've got including the ones that other. So I've got four left. Okay. So I've got one which is really obvious, and I've got three which aren't. So I'm going to go with the three that are not obvious because I think the last one will get picked up by someone else. So I am going with. 1969 off an old raincoat won't ever let you down it's uh produced by low reisner it's a jagger richards song and it is street fighting man yeah and i absolutely love it in fact i think i prefer rod's version to the original um i think his voice really suits the song i love the delivery of it um it's interesting because when i first heard the album i mean like however many years ago that was it, you know you have that moment where you're listening to something and then something comes on and you go oh i know this and then for a moment you go well why do i know it and then you go ah oh, hang on i know because <laughs> it's by the rolling stones um 
and um, I just think it's a really good version. I think I think he he gets it absolutely right. Um, it's respectful to the original, which I think, but without being a carbon copy, I think it's it's different enough to make it an interesting rendition of a song that we all know because we all love it by the Stones. Um, and um, when I was thinking about you know, there's so much dross post 1976. I just thought, well, what am I going to what, what am I going to have? And I thought, well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go with some of these covers because I think it's a really good cover. So, not much else to say. We all know Street Fighting Man Inside Out. I really like this version of it. So that's what I'm going for next. So really, so you basically you've had Street Fighting Man two weeks running for different oh, yeah. artists in your top yes. tens. We need another artist next week who's done a version of Street Fighting Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we just keep on pumping out Street Fighting Keep Man. on, it's keep on It's a good out, song. Yeah. It's a really good song. All right. Oh, well. Okie dokie. My one is, I thought it's a classic first hit in the UK, hit for the faces. I'm a nod's as good as a wink. Uh, I thought that Austin was going to say this when he said it's the best track on the album, because this is my favourite track. And, of course, we all know what it is. Describing a girl called Rita, who has a face like uh, a face that she has nothing to laugh about, I quote, unquote. <laughs> and, and, with whom, and with whom the singer proposes a one-night stand on condition that she be gone when he wakes up. It was yeah. a number six hit in the UK. And it's a Rod Stewart, Ronnie Woods song. And it was uh, 17 in the US. 41 in Australia. And I love the little um the little run that uh McLagan does on the on the piano that links the just sort of sets up the song, doesn't it, with the uh when when and then Ronnie Wood comes in with the riff. I think love you've got me song. wrong. You've got me wrong, Colin. I didn't uh, uh I didn't say that uh that's all you need was the best song on the album. Oh. Uh, I I was raving I was raving about what it that it Definitely, uh, Nod is the best album, and it's got a lot of good songs. But yeah, um, I'm actually in agreement with you. I think "Stay with Me" is the highlight of the uh, of the album. It's got a, uh, a greater like the uh, so you're you're talking about the McLagan's um, like little piano run that joins the two sections. So yes, the really neat thing about the uh, the the song structure is like it's bookended by this kind of like like breakneck. Uh, like proto punk kind of like rock out um, thing, which is um, is uh, like instrumental. It's wordless. I think Rod yelps and you know mm. carries on over the top of it, but um, yeah. and ad libs. Uh, what's he say? Get yourself home or something. Get out of here yes. and all this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but um, like it's just uh, it's just the rest of the band like you know pounding away for for thirty seconds and then the the breakdown. Down at the end with uh, yes. Kenny Jones kind of signature kind of like drum, you know, drum crash, like the, the drum set falling down the stairs or something. Imitation uh, mm. that he does, which is the way that Tin Soldier is finished. So there's there's another little uh, research piece for you. Have a listen to Kenny Jones's. So Kenny, the way Kenny Jones uh, uh, finishes with his drum flourish uh, at the end of Tin Soldier, and then go and have a listen to the end of Stay With Me, and it's the, it's the same licks. So can we just? So, so have you uh, yeah, stay uh, with- and um, great, like the, the it's yeah, it's it's definitely my list. 
absolutely. It's on your list, and it's on, and great, it's on great my list as well. Ironic. It's on yours as well. Okay. Right, so it says all, all three of us have got to stay with me. Does that mean it's me again? Yeah. One, two, three, four. I, I think yeah. something needs to hang on before before we before we move on. I think uh, I'd just like to uh, insert uh, a comment about uh, Glyn Johns, who produced this album, because mm-hmm. the uh, the material on Nod in general is is so much more focused than anything the Faces did, and uh, and you probably have to credit uh, Johns's presence um, for for that. Uh, he he probably pulled the best out of them that they probably didn't even know they had. Yeah, good producer. There's no there's point. definitely no there's, there's definitely something to be said for uh for, for the album and and, and the fact that uh, that he was involved in it. Yeah. Okay, okay, right. I'm going to throw in another quick one because you probably haven't got this either. Again, it's the faces. Um, it was probably their penultimate single, end of '73. Standalone single, another Rod Stewart and a Ronnie Wood song. Again, no Ronnie Lane as he had left the band in June. It was recorded in early July. So Wood is on bass uh, on the A side, whilst the aforementioned um, Japanese guitarist, who Austin will pronounce perfectly. That's it. Yeah, I can't remember his name again, but he plays bass on the live B side of the of the single, which was "I Wish It Would Rain," which was recorded at the Reading Festival, and it made number eight in the UK. And it's Pool Hall Richard, great song, great song. Mm-hmm. Had forgotten about that completely. Good song. Yeah, you know the crowd gets bigger as the word goes round. Pool Hall King is playing back, back in town. And then you're all oh, the bang goes the brown. That's another one down. Bang goes the green. You're so obscene. Bang goes the blue. Lock away the cue. Bang goes the eight ball. Didn't see it spin at all. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a great song. It is a great song. Oh, Lord Richard, you're far too wicked. We know. I didn't think either of you would have that in. No. I, it's I, a I'm real rocking song. I, it is a really good song. And actually, now that you've meant, remember, now that you've said it, I probably would have had that on my list. But there we go. It's, oh, it's there. There you go. Um, so. Uh, My turn? Yeah, go on then. Okay, so I've got two left, um, both cover versions. So um, the first one, I'm going with a song of Never a Dull Moment, which was uh, written by uh, Ellingham Jordan and Billy Foster and was originally recorded by Etta James, and it is I'd Rather Go Blind which I, I really love it. I, I've got the version by Joe Hart, uh, by Joe Hart. No, he played, he was a Joe guy. Hart, who's in uh, goal for... Uh, yes, he was in goal just in the recording. No, uh, by uh, by Beth Hart and Joe Bonamassa, which it's an oh. absolutely brilliant version. Um, but, um, but actually, I, I really love the Rod Stewart version. Um, always did. Didn't I? This was, I, I heard it before I knew it was an Etta James song. Obviously, I know the Etta James version now as well. I think that's also brilliant. Um, it's interesting, just you know, from my point of view, the bass guitarist on I'd Rather Go Blind is one Peter Sears, who was, of course, my best mate at school, um, and who I speak to most days on the phone. Just uh, not actually the Peter Sears, wasn't him, no. no, it wasn't him, but I just I, I always ask him if no. he's. Reggie Sears, Reggie Sears, as he was affectionately known, my maths teacher, was yes. his dad. No, it was his uncle. 
Is his uncle was it? Uncle, okay. uncle Reggie. Yes, he was my maths teacher as well. Although that, although by the time he taught me, I was beyond redemption. <laughs> so he gave he gave up. <laughs> but anyway, so yes. Um, uh, okay. Right then, Austin, go on. You go again. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> Back to the Every Picture album. Uh, and the single, which uh, I think is perhaps um, a bit overlooked now, uh, there, there are some compilations it doesn't feature on anymore, uh, and that's Reason to Believe. Mm. Well, um, I've got that as well. I've got that. Yeah. Um, again, uh, just uh, beautiful, uh, really emotive arrangement, uh, piano and Hammond organ, um the, uh, the the breakdown in the middle where it's just uh it's just rod and the microphone and mm. dead air like that is such a gutsy move and um i'm trying to think if uh if there's a precedent for it um because it's um it, it's just such a striking thing to do to kind of highlight the uh the the, the lyric at that point um and it just kind of like it, like it just, uh, you know, like hits you in the feels, as they might say. Yes, uh, I know what you mean? Reason, great to believe, reason to Believe was my number 11 on my list of 10. So it's the one that when I went through the list, it was the one I left off. But um, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, and and once again, uh, uh, tricky tricky Dick on the uh, on the violin as well. It's like he he got uh, got everyone involved on on this one. I I, I really think that uh, uh, that he probably thought that this was going to be the uh, the, the the big track off the album, the highlight. Um, although the uh, the the title track is is uh, also you know, pretty strong, but I think uh, um, like Maggie May. What what wasn't wasn't in calculations for for being the the song to to really spearhead the album? Um, I can see why uh, this was released as the, the initial single. I think that's that a single, yeah, somewhat yeah. justified. So it's a it's Tim Harden's song. Great great song. He, you heard the original one as well, I assume. From whatever sixty six time was it? Yeah, and, remember uh, when it was? Yeah. yeah, around about that time. And, and once again, yeah. like. Like no no resemblance at all. Well, like no, barely, like, oh. like Rod, Rod Rod. It's it's almost amazing that Rod uh, fixed on that track and went. Oh, I know what to do with that. Like mm. it, it's 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 right. a complete transformation. It's really interesting, isn't it? I, because sometimes you get a cover where it's almost like the original, and you go, "Well, it's a faithful replica of the original," and I like it because it's a faithful replica. So if we go back to last week, I think the Guns N' Roses version of, of Sympathy for the Devil fits into that category. It's pretty well the same as the Stones. I love both. Um, but I think then the other one is when a song gets taken and you can see the root of the song, but it's done, it's it's handled completely differently. And so you can go, oh, that it's that, but it's kind of not even vaguely the same. Um, and I think that's the strength of of a of a really clever cover where it where it's very very different. It, does and, it and reminds me of the vocal Stuart story. And and go on, carry on. I was just going to say Rod Stewart and Joe Cocker were masters of that, and and maybe yes, that's 
like maybe that's not just them, but how how things were done back in 1971, like uh, yeah, well, I, like I, that. I mean, that's, that's just the approach example, everyone took. How good? How good is Joe Cocker's version of "With a Little Help from My Friends"? You know, it's the song, but it's completely different. I mean, I much prefer it, but I, I love Joe Cocker. But uh, but you know, it, it, that's a classic example of, of 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 the type, isn't it? You know, and it's like Disturbed's version of "Sounds of Silence." Now, whether you like it or not, it's the song, but it's done so completely differently. It just makes you look at a song from a completely different perspective. I, I like that song. I like that that version. It's Disturbed. Yeah, yeah, very moody. But um, take us back just quickly to reason to believe it. And we're talking about 1970, 1971, aren't we, for this? Yeah. Um, it just reminds me, is it fair to say, it reminds me of the vocal for In a Broken Dream, in a way, yeah. that sort of yeah, sound it to it? I, yeah. I agree. And, and actually, one of the reasons it was my one that I dropped was because, because I thought it was quite like In a Broken Dream, which I'd obviously chosen as my top one. Okay, I'm just going to go quickly for another Faces song. Gone a bit mad with faces the last two or three. Um, and this one was actually their highest UK charting hit in 1973. It's from their Ooh La La album. And it made number two in the UK. Uh, US, it didn't chart. Australia, it was a minor hit 53. Um, and it was prevented from getting to no- number one in the UK only by Slade. I mean, I think they probably stopped everyone from getting to number one in nineteen seventy three. Come on, feel the noise, uh, yeah. and it's Cindy. Incidentally, oh, good song, yeah. good song, yeah, yeah a yeah. Stuart Wood McLagan yeah. song, produced yeah. by Glyn Johns, uh, the aforementioned Glyn Johns that Austin was praising earlier on. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great song. Another piano intro to it, wasn't there? Yeah, beautiful yeah. song. That uh, that album was, um, uh, it's pretty well known. Was uh, was very troubled. Uh, Rod Stewart had had checked out of the faces by that point. Um, uh, didn't show up to the studio until uh, proceedings had been underway for two weeks. Then complained that the material wasn't in the right uh, right key for him or something, uh, and went away. And they <laughs> reworked the material, and he came back. But uh, yeah, he uh, he was not into it. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if uh, uh, if that attitude was the uh, that the core of his disagreement with uh, with Ronnie Lane, or whether there are other there were probably other personality differences that work there as well. But if you, but, um, if you read back through some of like when I, when I was reading around this, he fell out with a lot of people. He fell out with long John Baldry, you know, he, he, he clearly had got his way of doing things and it was, you know, my way or the highway kind of thing. Um, and and, and he, he did some stuff with Jeff Beck as well, didn't he? Fell out with Jeff Beck. So, you know, basically he obviously falls out with people. Which maybe is why that was a lounge singer because just looking at the track listing on Ooh La La actually, and uh, yeah. there's a number of songs on the album that whether this is the same on the other albums, maybe Austin, you know more as an expert, maybe on the Faces albums, but where Rod doesn't actually sing, uh, is that the case on the other ones as well? I mean, Ronnie Lane's doing uh, obviously there's, there's a couple of instrumentals, and Ronnie, yeah, there's, there's a couple sings of the instrumentals on First Step. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a couple of uh, couple of instrumentals on first step. 
Um, there's uh, on uh, not as as good. There is uh, debris, which uh, is Ronnie Lane singing. Which I mean, Ronnie's voice uh, is perfect for it. So mm-hmm. uh, and Rod's singing backing vocals. Oh, hang on, no. There's also that. There's um, oh, can't believe I've, I was forgetting about this one. Um, uh, You're so rude, which is just such a great song. Uh, like. Yeah, um, and that that is also delivered by Ronnie because it's it's kind of got this uh, deadpan kind of tongue in cheek thing that uh, that is kind of almost the antithesis of, of Rod's delivery mm. in, in a way. So uh, so Ronnie's delivery is is uh, is perfect for it. Um, yeah, one, one uh, track here on Ula La with Ronnie Lane, Ronnie Wood, and Ian Malcolm down as lead singers. So that yeah. Yep. So the other uh, Ronnie Wood um, uh, ended up singing a song because Rod refused. Uh, it was it was actually intended for Rod, and and they ended up with uh, with with Ronnie taking the uh, the lead vocal. So yeah, uh, what a they're, diva! They're definitely uh, on the rocks. What a diva! What a diva! I bet he went out to uh, to wash his hair as well. So well, I went to see him in uh, Sarah, and I went to see him actually in eighty. Must be late late eighties or early nineties at Wembley, and and she was sort of in hysterics most of the time, because he seemed to go off after every other song, and come back with recently blow dried hair. <laughs> don't start. So, just, it's, <laughs> no, just don't go there. Just just stick with just stick with Maggie May and handbags and glad rags and just don't do that. I mean, okay. It's, so it's, I've gone for silly incidentally. Um, we've got gone. You two must have. Uh, I've got one. one. I've got one left. Yeah, Austin, you want to go next? Then, by all means. So we've done Maggie May, which is my number four. Okay, the uh, the track that precedes "Reason to Believe." Uh, it's a um, it's a Motown track. I'm losing you. Um, oh, okay. And and it is the uh, it's the one track that features the faces lineup on the. Um, uh, on the every picture tells a story album i think it's got has it got piano and organ but uh and they would both be mcclagan uh and also it has the uh the the, the rest of the uh the band doing the uh the backing vocals in the the breakdown in the middle now i'm pretty sure that, that this breakdown in the middle is not on the original uh version and it's something that uh that rod would have introduced um and again let's t- Quickly talk about uh, like producers. Uh, so uh, Lou Reisner produced the uh, the first album, but uh, uh, whether it was that it didn't do much business, or or Rod somehow uh, got the uh, the record label to uh, agree to him resting control uh, of his uh, of his recording process, uh, the uh, the run of albums from Gasoline Alley through to I think Smiler were all Rod Stewart. Uh, pro- like in the producer's chair, yeah, that's yeah, this right. one, uh, and yeah, so we, which is quite quite a remarkable thing because it's uh, it, it's no mean feat to actually be in a recording studio and making the decisions about whether something has made the cut uh, or not. You know, to because uh, it, it's a very intense situation. There's like like a, a lot of money being burned through, and you've got to produce like you, a performance and an arrangement and deliver 
be in charge of delivering uh, the uh, what is the end product and to go, okay, like that was the take. We, we've got it. We're going to work on this. And then, you know, this is going to be the next thing to know like when you've got it, when is enough, uh, you know, when you can leave like uh, something with rough edges in, like all of those decisions uh, rest on your, sh- and the consequences rest on your shoulders. Mm. So that it, it's, it's the pretty big thing to take on. I, I don't know if uh, uh, maybe the stakes went as high back, you know, in the, the 60s and early 70s, but I can't imagine it. Like I, I, I don't think EMI would ever have let the, the Beatles run their own sessions, um, you know, with, without George Martin or, or somebody uh, like appointed by George Martin involved. So, you know, that like uh, whether, whether that was uh, uh, Mercury was more of a cowboy outfit. I don't know, but um but Rod Stewart actually being granted um, the uh, the the producer's chair by the record label, and you know having the you know, the chat spa to roll with it, um, it, it is a pretty impressive thing. So he was, you know, he he was a bit of a talent. Like he like he was really in charge of, of his um, his um, you know artistic output, which is something that's that's very very rare in the music business. Pretty talented for a grave digger, right? Yeah. Yes. It was. Can you imagine the nightmare of being the producer of a Steely Dan album? I mean, how many takes? Well, yeah. I mean, just yeah. Well, I think I mean Gary Gary Katz was the producer, but I think uh, like I'm not I'm not sure exactly what his role was. He was probably like he was probably just like kind of the the, the backstop umpire and you know yeah, exactly, and yeah, exactly. turn around and go. Yeah, yeah. You know, between are, are, are we are we completely insane? And he just go, yeah. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just uh, every I've I've got three of their albums in my last lot of stuff I got from Gordon. And I've just I've played them loads of times in the last couple of weeks, and these are so well produced and so clever. Anyway, nothing to do with Rod Stewart, right? So is that me then? My last one. Yeah, go on. Well, I'm going with another cover version. This is um, 1972, off Never a Dull Moment, a Rod Stewart production of Angel by Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, yeah. This is this is. Um, it was released posthumously, wasn't it, on um, Cry of Love, which uh, which I, like, I, really, I really like the album. But it's going back to what I said earlier, I, this is just a very, very different rendition of a song that you know very well as a Hendrix song with all that that entails. Um, and I think it's just very brave to take something... I mean, Hendrix was unique. Whether you liked him or not, he was unique. And to take something by such a unique talent and do it in a way which is very, very different. I mean, very different. But then to go, actually, it works. You know, it's it's one of those things where you recognise what the song is and you go, oh, hang on. And then you think, but this is a really different version of it. And I I threw that in. I, I was booming and ahhing between between that one and, and my number 11. And I, and I put this one in just because I thought, well, it's kind of predictable going for the obvious stuff. Uh, and I obviously wasn't going to go for sailing or any of that shite. 
Um, so I thought, right, let's go with Angel because it's just such a, it, it's it's just a very different rendition of something that we all know very, very well. So yeah, that's my last one. Yeah, good song. It was, a, I think it was a top 10 hit as well. Um, I don't as know. As a single. No, yeah, I think so. It. I'll check that out. Because also on there is, because he does, he does great rock covers. Yeah, um, he does. I mean, I think of Sam, you mentioned it earlier on, I think Sam Cook. Um, twisting the night away, I think. Twisting the night away, I was listening to on. I've got it on that compilation album, and I thought this is a really good, great cover, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he did did some great Chuck Berry covers. I mean, Sweet Little Rock and Roller too was a was a good one. Uh, Angel, uh, yeah, seventy two made number four. It was a double A sided single with what made Milwaukee famous has made a loser out of me. Yeah. Which is also, also a good song. Good song. Yes, yeah. it is. Good cover. It didn't make the cut, but I like it equally well. <clears throat> right. So I am going to go for a just, a, I'll go for a bit of a slushy one, I guess. From 77, probably the latest one I've got here, um, from Footloose and Fancy Free album, uh, which. Um, had a few good songs on it. This one, Billboard declared it should become Stuart's biggest easy listening hit uh, and felt the vocal style was similar to that of The Killing of Georgie. Uh, the song is You're In My Heart. As I said, very slushy. It's got a, a parenthetical... Um, uh, addition to the title, isn't it? Something like the final, yeah, the final acclaim, or something. The final acclaim. Uh, yeah. What What is that? Don't know what that is. Is that oh, Is that in the lyrics? Or I don't know that it's in the lyric. No, yeah. I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're in my heart. You're in my soul. You'd be my breath should I grow old. You're a rhapsody, yeah, a comedy, a, love- you're a symphony, and a play. You're every love song ever written. It's very Oscar Wilde. See in me, yeah. You're Celtic United, but I've decided you're the best team I've ever seen. Um, and and he was an Arsenal heart. fan. Yeah, he was an Arsenal fan, which puts him in the twang <laughs> uh, It was a, a, a big hit, uh, the biggest in Australia, actually. It was a number one hit there. Uh, a lovely number- jazzy jazz guitar intro. Really, oh, yeah, it's, very it's, tasty. Yeah. Um, Jim Cragen. I think was he on the guitars on that? Yep. I, I, I don't know the personality. So no, I know that Nicky Hopkins no. is on the string synthesizer, and I've got Jim Craig and Dan as um, uh, which album did I say? Footloose and Fancy Free. Okay, let's just find it quickly here. So uh, very, very classy. It is so very, very classy uh, decision. Yeah. To, to include that. I'm sorry, you've lost me here. I can't stand that song. It is is that? Yeah. Where, where we get? Where we get? Oh, it's awful. It's not as awful as some of the crap that came afterwards. But I mean, for me, that album is the one where it goes off a cliff, and then just oh, no, forget it. Didn't you but say? Listen, you from, not a fan then. No. Well, of course, hot legs is on that. You don't like that either. Well, didn't you, you, didn't that you say we were gonna? Didn't you say we were gonna pick out the ones that are really terrible? Because well, we can't do that. If we've well, got, my, really I've got my, it's on my list of really terrible. Songs. You've got a list. <laughs> I've got a list. No, you, you're only allowed 
No, one. I've got yeah, you, know, you got to pick the so worst bad. one. No, I've got four which are so bad they have to be mentioned. So, so they're, they're four, four, equal, heart, four equal firsts. Well, I'm just right. counting these up now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got eight. one more. You've got one more. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got one more. You've only got nine. What have you got for your last one then, Austin? Can't believe uh, this isn't on uh, your lists, either of your lists. Every picture tells a story. Ah. Great rambunc- rambunctious acoustic rocker with a, you know, a semi-autobiographical lyric. It's, yeah, it, it's just fantastic stuff. Uh, yeah. Really driving. Ronnie Ronnie Wood's uh, 12-string guitar work, uh, like, really makes the song uh, um, the... Um, yeah, the, the slide guitar work, the the vocal abrasives by uh, Long John Baldry and Maggie Bell. Uh, they call them vocal abrasives because uh, I think probably they had uh, um, like a husky voices or a like a gravelly attack on the uh, on the song. Um, that, that, there's a bit of an argument about who who's saying what because the uh, the the album credits are so hard to read. It's like you, you've got to really pass them carefully to to work out uh, who who was on which track because uh, there was Maggie Bell and then there was Madeline Bell. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. And um, both great um, voices, but very different. Very 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 different individuals to say yeah. the least. Um, and so Madeline Bell sang on "Seems Like a Long Time" and Maggie Bell's on uh, "Every Picture." Yeah, Mad- Madeline Bell was that the was that the Madeline Bell from Blue Mink? Yes, sung yes. for Blue Banner, Mink. Bannerman. Bannerman. The, the very first uh, single um, I ever bought. Yes. I remember a, a song called Randy that Blue Mink did as well. Yeah, which yeah they did. Right, right up your street, Pete, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> but, <laughs> strasser. <laughs> um, right up your strasser. Yeah, Maggie Bell. Maggie Bell had a hit with, um, oh, had a chart hit on her own with, I say with, on her own with, it was a duo. B.A. Robertson. Do you remember B.A. Robertson? Yeah, B.A. Robertson. Yeah, Hold yeah. me. Song oh, Hold yeah, Me, yeah, yeah. I think it was a PJ Proby song in the 60s. Yeah, Had a was, big hit with that. And yeah, it was Bill was, and Maggie, Bell. Maggie Bell was Stone the Crows, wasn't she? I think she was. Yeah, yes. she was Stone the Crows. Yeah, yeah. great voice. Probably a real rock voice. Gravelly, as you yeah. say, the vocal abrasive. Perfect. Every music. picture tells a story. So what album was that uh, one on, Austin? I firmly <laughs> believe that I didn't need anyone but me. Make it, Scott. That's the one. Oh, come on. Well, I, I, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, sadly, <laughs> I've only got nine down for you, Pete. Here. I've got Man Across the Sorrow, In a Broken Dream, Maggie May, Handbags, Mandolin Rain, Street Fighting Mandolin Man. Rain. Mandolin Wind, sorry. I've written Wind that said Rain. That was a Bruce Hornsby song. Uh, Street Fighting Man, Stay With Me, I'd Rather Go Blind, and Angel. One, two, three, four, five. In a Broken Dream. Said that. Maggie May, handbags and glad drags. Yes. Stay with me. Yes. You wear it well. Oh, I didn't write you wear it down. Yeah, that's because you had it, so I didn't bother. That was the. Um... Okay, that's it. So we've all done ten. So that's the thirty classics. Um, I there's a couple I, I might have had instead of you're in my heart. I do love a bit of. Uh, I was only joking as well, which is also from Footloose and Fancy for your favourite album, Pete. Uh, if I'd have known that you hate it so much, I'd have put that in instead of one no, of these right, other ones. Right, can we be clear? No, just stop. 
I have no idea that it was on Footloose. I've no idea whether I like Footloose. I gave up with Rod Stewart very shortly after about 1974. And after that, then I, I don't like any of it. It's just that some of the singles are horrific. Shall we get to those then? Yeah, Yeah. we're going then. Because we're we're at the end. We've actually got like a neat list of 20 songs. So that's going to be my uh, my Spotify playlist. That sounds perfect. Excellent. Okay. Right. So um, we've got one song then. That is going into the uh, the, the, the creepy, stinky peat bin, the one <laughs> the one that we never want to hear again, and yeah. hate. Maybe hates the wrong word. No, no but, the one and, I'm choosing, I hate. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. with a passion. I've, I've got one definitely. So, um, okay, Pete, tell us yours. <laughs> Do you think I'm sexy? That is mine as well. Right, okay. Oh, <laughs> is that all three? Oh, well, answer, no, that's no, that's not mine. Right. I'm agreeing with it. It's answer terrible. Answer to this question, no, I don't. Yep. Not even in a darkened room with a mirror that's broken. And what the hell was Britt Eklund playing at? I, really? No, it's dre- it stinks the place out. It is awful. Well, I hate to say I agree with you. It is... It is awful. An affront to humanity. Yeah. Do you <laughs> think I'm sexy? And and he had a big number one hit with it as well, didn't he? Well, of course he did. <laughs> That's the craziest thing about it is like, like some of his stuff was just so egregious and it was so popular. <laughs> like, it doesn't say Which much about it. how he sold it's, 250 million albums to people I, that think that's a good song. It's God. an indictment. It's an indictment on humanity. <laughs> it is an indictment on humanity. It's literally an indictment on humanity. The, I tell you, the people who like "Do You Think I'm Sexy" voted for Donald Trump. That's how bad. It, that's how bad it is. Bloody Ooh, political, political. <laughs> Dreadful song. Dreadful. All okay. right, hit us with your next one. Go on then. <laughs> Well, do you think I'm sexy? Is it for me? Or what have no, you got? We've, we've both gone that. What did you choose? Hey, no, give us the rest of yours, and then I'll give you. No, one. Right, the rest you, you might, you might have mine as well. Right, hot legs. Dreadful. I love hot legs. Hot legs is almost as bad as. Do you think I'm sexy? No. Yeah. We've already. Oh, no, it's you. a rock song, though, isn't it? Do oh, you think I'm terrible. sexy? It's, it's awful. just. It's oh, no. we, we we disco bass. Sorry, it's in it's, the bin yeah, for me it's, too. It's crap. It's basically a really. It's. It's kind of like that awful kiss disco rock thing as well. Um, but you didn't, you didn't talk- like kiss anyway, did you? No, not really. Um, we've talked about you're in my heart. Uh, but then this other one, which I really can't stand, is this old heart of mine. That is smolchy, sm- horrible. Well, a good cover he did. Didn't change it around too much. I thought, well, it's, it's a double A-sided single. It's were both covers. One was the one I'm mentioning, which is I Don't Want to Talk About It, which is a great song, which is, of course, a um, Crazy Horse song okay. mm-hmm. uh, written by Danny Whitten, who uh, oh, must have died soon after he wrote it. And, of course, the other side was Cat Stevens' first cut. It was the deepest. So he, he can do a good song. That was probably 76 time again, though. So it just just yeah. within the remit, beat, yeah? Yes, just scrapes over the Maybe line. Maybe 77. I think, yeah, actually, that, that was 77. First cut, and I don't want to talk about it. I know this for a fact because it is reported that 
the BBC insisted that the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, was not going to be number one in June 1977 in oh, Jubilee Week. So they fixed it, in inverted commas, allegedly, et cetera, et cetera, so that uh, the Sex Pistols was number one in every other chart, but not the BBC one, because I think they managed to stop chart sales from... Uh, yeah, it was labels. from the, the labels, labels also own. had shops. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, Virgin yeah. weren't allowed to report sales. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. you know but I, mean? I like those two songs, so they're not on my list. Do you think I'm sexy? Is is pants basically? We it's don't right. like that. Have you got any more then, Pete? No, I've. Do you think I'm sexy? Hot legs. You're in my heart, and this old heart of mine hate all of them. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you didn't have mine. Uh, maybe it will come as a shock to you, but uh, the. Uh, the the one song that I chose is the w- one that uh, if if I uh, you know if I could choose for it to be erased from history, then that's sailing. Ah, oh, oh, well, <laughs> I'm glad you said I'm surprised, this. Surprised, Pete didn't have sailing actually. Well, no, I don't dislike the song. I just hate because isn't that the Sutherland Mothers and Quiver song? Yeah, it's a Gavin Sutherland song. I, yeah. Actually, I prefer Rod Stewart's song to the original. Actually. No. No, no, no. Austin's right. It's awful. It's horrible. It's like, and it it's the first real uh, indication of, of of what Lester Bangs talked about with the betrayal. Because yeah, uh, he, hang on, let, let me let me finish. The the, the thing about that 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 really characterized right up to that point was his ability to kind of like like you know really kind of sell that genuine empathy for like you know. The, the the working man the like the you know the the everyday human experience and sailing just comes off as like just completely contrived like um, that that he knows what he's got and he's going to use it to you know to to sell this thing it is just it's just dripping with kind of this this gooey sentiment that like, so for me like it, like like my like it just uh my my filter like uh catches it and i just have this disgust reaction <laughs> <laughs> it's a song that makes you gag <laughs> yeah it's dreadful. as we would say on twitter not a fan no, no not a fan it's dreadful I, I i wholeheartedly concur it could easily have been on my list but there again so many could i just had to go with do you think i'm sexy because it's awful but anyway Yes, sailing, dreadful song. Yeah, he did another one after Do You Think I'm Sexy, which was a sort of um, almost a repeat. And again, I think he had a number one with it. Was it not Baby Jane? Yeah, that was awful. Awful song. Yes, yeah, it Baby probably Jane, was number not, one. Yeah, not so keen, yeah, not so keen on that one either, but don't ask me which album it's on. It might be does on it, Tonight I'm Yours or something. Does it matter? It was probably called Rod Stewart Ruins an Entire Career by Singing Shite albums one and two i mean yeah the, probably the label would have probably stopped that from being the title i'm guessing so depressing right okay so do you think i'm sexy and sailing definitely are in there for uh well for you two i had you had pete yeah and i think pretty much austin's least favorite song is right. sailing England. from 1975 i think it was a hit twice Number one in 75, and then because of some, was it a documentary or a, or a TV yeah, series of some kind, the following later. year, it went back yeah, to yeah. the top yeah. top five again. Yeah. 
just means that people can be stupid twice. Absolutely. Um, now, oh, I did have one other. Graham sent me his list of 10. Amazingly for him, he's given us 10. Austin's bandwidth is network bandwidth is low. It says again, right. you're not doing your Spotify playlist again, are you, Austin? That's probably what's doing it. No. Um, right. Graham's got stay with me, mandolin wind. I don't want to talk about it. First cut is the deepest reason to believe Maggie May. You wear it well, handbags and glad rags in a broken dream. King of Georgie. I think we pretty much covered most of those, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. And I've mentioned the, I don't want to talk about it in first cut. It's the deepest, uh, yeah. the end there. But apart from that, all the others, yeah, we're in one of the three of us list. So there's Rod. There is. Because we have a soft spot for Rod because he was living in my hometown or was it, it wasn't your hometown, was it, Pete? Yeah. But it was certainly yeah, it was my hometown of Epping. In Essex, used to live there for many, many years. Was spotted walking about town and in the local pub, the Thaden Oak, which I believe was his pub it was, of yes, it was his of pub preference. Of yes, yes. The Thaden Oak. Yeah. Um, oh, I've just seen one other. I nearly had. I nearly had another smaltzy one. It's a Van Morrison song cover. He had it on the uh, Unplugged album. Have I told you lately? That's awful. Yeah. You don't like that either. No. That's no, terrible. Anything smaltzy you don't like? No, I don't like smaltzy, period, really. Smaltzy or... If it's got loads of... If, I don't mind loads of lush strings if it's symphonic rock, but loads of lush strings... Like Nightwish, are, you were going to yeah, say. Well, any of that stuff doesn't matter, you know, any of them. But uh, no, it's, but if it's if it's in that sort of setting, no, it's horrible. It just ruins the song. Just bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, that's it. It's all you need. Because of the duplication, I think, tonight, we've got through quicker than hopefully I, I thought we were going to, actually. Yeah. Um, so we've got a standard sort of time. So thank you very much, Austin, once more. And thank you very much, Stinky Pete. That's the end of the Rod Stewart story for this week. And we've covered, and Austin will be doing a playlist, I think, of 20 songs that we've got between us out of 30, which isn't too bad. And, um, yeah, this podcast will be posted to the usual fora over the coming days. That will be Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, uh, you name it. And, of course, on Breaker, yeah. one. Of course, one day, Pete, we will be on? The BBC. The BBC, who banned God Save the Queen. So we don't really and want to And many other things. <laughs> and many, many other things, yeah. Even I am the walrus. Yeah, there's another Beatle reference for you. And intellectual political debate. Well, that's another issue. That's another issue. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for tonight. So, in the meantime, all I've got to say is, and we look forward to your uh, new analogue material coming out, Austin. Yes, we next do. couple of months. Very close. Uh, Very close. If it's possible to send a, a version of something to me, I can plonk it out on the airwaves of course uh, at some point I'll be on air tomorrow of course 8am UK time that's 3am Eastern Daylight time if you're awake or whatever it is in Australia I don't know what that is but anyway it's 8am here is it 8 plus 9 hours are you Austin I think at the moment I can't remember uh, yeah it's 10 is it 10 at the moment okay well you can always tune in if you wish to to hear it um, and yeah so um, in the meantime it's a good night from me 
it's a good night from him. It's a good night from all of us to all of you. Oh, oh, oh no. that was, Thanks, that guys. Was very, uh, that was very rough, mate. <laughs> oh, rough. <laughs>